When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And good morning. Welcome to Thursday's show. Bernie and Sadie taking your calls this morning. 1850-333-103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Email across the morning jp at c103.ie or of course you can always tweet us at c103cork. And ahead on the show this morning, the CSO have published figures yesterday and they basically are showing something that might not be new to a lot of people in this country. But while we think here in Ireland we are moving forward with certain things and accommodation was one of those mentioned over the last number of years uh, things haven't changed that much because it seems that regardless where you are uh, in, in if you're working and if you're not working renting is still a big issue and the figures released yesterday show that basically there's a number of us living in Ireland who are being forced to be deprived and one of the bigger results coming out on this is people who are renting accommodation and this could be for all ages but especially couples and even single people who are renting accommodation they're trying then to get an appeal and apply for a mortgage with whatever bank they're looking into and they find it very hard because they're they're paying so much in high rents they're finding it hard to save for a deposit for a mortgage so then they're caught in this particular cycle of the high rental market the landlord or the agency will increase the rent maybe after two, three or four years. And because of that, then they're forking out more money on rent, which means they're not able to save enough money in the long run. Discussing that also, how others that are affected by this, uh, these are people who have a long term illness. They're also being uh, tied up in this particular report and showing that they're being left deprived. They're not able to for example, go out for a meal on a Tuesday or Wednesday night because of the long-term illness. They may be paying for this themselves. They may not be entitled to a, a medical card. They could be falling through the thresholds for that. And they then are falling into this category of they cannot afford to be where they need to be in life, but still they need to pay for their illness. Uh, so it shows while many feel the country is moving on and while we're dealing with COVID, uh, that overall we are moving in a right direction from the crash a number of number of years ago. It, this report 
report shows and this is a government agency that we're not and people are still struggling. We're going to speak with Father Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland on this report on the show this morning. Also, we're going to hear why the Labour Party is calling for sick leave for all parents. So, for example, if a child is sent home from school due to COVID and then the parent has to take maybe a week, two weeks, three weeks or whatever it is off work, it will be two weeks anyhow, it could be more, not all will get sick leave. And some companies may be good enough to pay you sick leave for that time, given the circumstances. Others may only pay you for two or three days. Beyond that, then it could fall into the hands of the social welfare to uh, get some sort of payment from them. But your employer wouldn't pay you, which means you will be down money. And can everybody uh, be, afford to be down money, especially with the way COVID is working and the way schools can send the class home, and it could be, it will be for two weeks. But if it was to go on, I mean, if it was a case that your child is home for two weeks, and then another member of your family is sick, and it could spiral on for four weeks, and you're going to be left out of pocket because your employer isn't going to pay you sick pay for four or five or six weeks. Well, the Labour Party wants something done on this and will speak with their Employment Affairs spokesperson, Senator Marie Sherlock, on the show this morning. Also, a lot of talk about the meat industry when it comes to COVID and how the counties in the Midlands were basically... They were in lockdown and one of the reasons was of outbreaks in meat plants in the Midlands and a lot of locals living in the Midlands were unhappy that they were punished because they were raising the issue that they felt wasn't being addressed and how workers were being treated in the meat factories in their area. Also questions were raised here in both the meat factories in the Cork area and the two big ones in Bandon and Watergrass Hill. Now this morning we were in touch with Meat Industry Ireland. I sent them an email asking at the now testing for COVID in those plants because about a month ago we asked them and the the national testing which is carried out by the HSC as yet wasn't being carried out in those plants. This morning they say the nationwide testing is now underway so I gather from that that staff now in both Bandon and Watergrass Hill are being tested for COVID-19 while they go and come from the workplace but migrant white groups they want the meat industry to basically clean up their act when it comes to migrant workers and the whole situation regarding COVID and how those worker, workers are treated by the industry. We'll speak with them on the show this morning. Also, our Gardafile and Jane is along, our resident vet on the show. If you have a particular pet uh, that you have a question for, Jane, well, you can get that into us across the morning as well on 1850 333 Text of WhatsApp 086-2103-103. Email jp at c103.ie. And just staying on COVID for a moment, because I know I have a number of texts in already on this. And this was raised yesterday uh, by the Na- National Public Health Emergency Team. We'll know them as Nefesh. And they fear because they're saying the numbers in the recent times, in the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been a rise in the number of positive tests for COVID-19 among elderly and vulnerable people. And they are most likely, they say, to die from the virus. Now, uh, figures released by Neffet show that there was almost no cases reported in over 75s up to the beginning of August. But that has changed in recent weeks. And they say that 70 cases reported uh, that in the last fortnight showed this as a new phenomenon. And they are concerned about this because uh, 
of those over 70, there's a, a one in five chance if you are over 70 that you could end up being hospitalised or worse. And that's what their fear is, uh, that it will put hospitals under more pressure or that people could die uh, because of COVID-19. In recent weeks, the age profile for positive cases had become far lower with the majority being under 45. But also they've noticed then uh, of that uh, number of cases increasing for over 75. So they're just flagging that issue and asking people to be aware especially those with underlying conditions but uh, a worrying surge uh, they said in the last number of weeks uh, and worrying uh, that Neffert is saying ahead of flu season uh, that there has been a surge in over 75s testing positive positive for COVID-19 and again they're making the point that those with underlying health conditions vulnerable and the elderly and those over 75 are ones who unfortunately will end up been hospitalised more by the virus than those at a younger age group uh, and a lot of people asking do we need to look at the daily reporting differently because uh, people feel that while they are giving where the county affected and the counties where the numbers are, are growing uh, in the daily reporting that we, we hear every evening on our news uh, mo- many people are asking could they not break it down further? Could they not give us a town by town because then people would know where exactly the virus is and people would use their own uh, personal responsibility on dealing and, and where they should be going where they, they should not be going and maybe that is one of the reasons why uh, things are increasing for the over 75s because if they say a county and the number is rising in a particular county no one knows then in that county where there could be a cluster or where the cases are uh, worse affected so for example looking at here in Cork I mean if there was a particular cluster in Cork unless we're actually told about it we won't know so people would like that so will that be something that Neffet will do I wonder uh, as they say flu season approaches will we get a more regional breakdown of where those particular cases are within the counties and would you like to see that? I think most people would. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 1850-333-103 You can call Bernie or Sadie or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Good morning to you. 1850-333-103 And while we continue to discuss about the wet pubs there, the bars who are not serving food at the moment and people are asking when will they be finally allowed to reopen in in this country because many over the last number of weeks you'll be familiar are saying it is unfair that you will have one bar who decides to serve some toasted sandwiches and a pizza in a particular town or village allowed to remain open or reopen and then you have a bar who is not serving food remaining closed especially those in rural areas who would not have a large amount of people in a particular bar on a weekday night especially anyhow well on that it seems now that pubs across the country are set to finally reopen their doors and the government is going to enact new laws and these type of laws are a three strike uh, law whereby you get three chances and if you don't obey you're out and you're closed and it's announced by the Minister for Justice Helen McAtee yesterday she said that this new legislation which will prove controversial because it will give Gardaí greater powers to shut down misbehaving bars I mean already Gardaí uh, are making sure those that are open and serving food are behaving and, and, and are obeying the current measures that are in place and the majority are here in the Cork area anyway uh, but those that aren't are warned to basically get the act in, 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 together uh, so that they behave and come comply with the regulations that have been brought out in relation to COVID-19 to protect their customers. Well, on this, then many of the wet bars that aren't serving food and that do want to open have said they have made adjustments in their bars. Uh, They have put 
up the uh, prospect screens. Uh, they have given guidelines to their staff because they were supposed to open so many times over the last few weeks and that was all cancelled. Well, uh, the new proposal now, and this is the Criminal Justice Enforcement Powers COVID-19 Bill 2020, this particular bill would give Gardaí three new closure orders to enforce on pubs and restaurants. So the orders are, are going to run like this. First of all, uh, the power for the Garda superintendent is to shut a pub immediately and for the rest of the day if they really feel that the bar isn't complying with the regulations. Also, there'll be power to apply the to the district court for an emergency closure order of up to three days where one or more breach has been discovered. And the power also to apply for a temporary seven-day closure order with a period of 30 days applying for further closure orders. Now, it also includes grounds for objection to renewal of licences. Many who felt that bars did open, that shouldn't have been open. Many listeners here at this show and callers felt uh, that if a bar did that, when they have to go back and renew their licence, that that should be something uh, that is mentioned to them in the court. And it is going to be brought up because it does include grounds for objection to uh, the renewal of a licence if they are seen to be breaching the particular regulations. Uh, But all of this will expire as the legislation on this is on until November the 9th. So unless it's all extended by the Dáil, it will expire on the 9th of November, which if they're looking at this and if the 9th of November is uh, when this particular legislation is is ruled out and will expire, you would think over the next few weeks that bars could be reopening if you're looking at the dates uh, mentioned there. Now, I know the Dáil are meeting today and a number of independent TDs are making a strong uh, move for the bars to reopen and they are meeting across today so we will speak with those cities tomorrow on the show to see what decision is being what they're speaking about first of all today but what is coming out uh, from what they are speaking about and will the actual bars reopen will they actually open in the next few weeks and what's the timeline of them opening so hopefully by the, later on this afternoon we should have some indication if not we'll get more indication tomorrow on the show because those TDs that are discussing that at the moment are, are hopefully uh, for, for their sake they're doing it on a business point of view uh, they feel that pubs can't especially those who have mortgages uh, that they're closed that they're still paying a mortgage for the particular building uh, but there's no money coming in they especially want those type of businesses to reopen uh, so they can keep a, a roof over their heads but outside of that we'll get the, the full story hopefully tomorrow from those who were in those meetings across the day within Linster House and indeed the Convention Centre more on that and uh, just a comment here from Mick in Bantier when I mentioned about the COVID related deaths uh, Mick is asking a question he says on the 6th of July it was reported that the COVID-19 related deaths was overestimated by at least 600 so can you please tell me why the daily account of COVID-19 related deaths have not been adjusted to allow for the overestimation of figures is asking Mick in Bantir when it comes to the daily reporting of the figures from Nefesh and yeah that's a good question Mick and we'll see what they say on that and Noel is asking uh, this is for people who are walking on our roadways Noel is saying this is something that is really getting to me over the last few weeks. I see people walking on our roads and they're walking on the wrong side of the road. I really think anyone walking on the roads should be wearing visible clothing and strongly believe that it should be made law. What do you think? Asks Noel. So do you agree with Noel? I know the Road Safety Authority have been out and others and they did provide and you'll see people wearing those. The Road Safety Authority, you could apply to them for high-vis vests 
And you'll see many voluntary groups across, across the county wearing those particular vests when they are out and about on our roadways. It could be tidy towns, it could be different groups. So some people, the majority I would hope, do wear visible clothing and high-vis vests when walking. But now that the evenings, I mean, it is getting darker from around 8.30, you'll notice that the, you know it, it is noticeably darker on the roads when you are driving and it's that dusk time when it's, you know, it can be, they say, uh, one of the most dangerous times to drive on our roads uh, is dawn and dusk because it's, it's again pedestrians trying to make out where they are. If they're crossing roads, it, it can be, uh, depending on what type of evening you have, of course, as well, but it is darker uh, at about 8.30 or so. So because of that, do you agree with Noel? He says those, first of all, people who don't know the rules of the roads when it comes to walking and they're walking on the wrong side of the road and then you have people who are walking wearing dark clothing I presume you mean Noel and they should be wearing at least visible clothing so when you're driving you can see them but also high-vis vests which I know the Road Safety Authority says that everybody who's walking late in the evening should be wearing high-vis vests so do you agree with Noel on that and have you seen that when you're uh, driving on roads people walking on the wrong side and also people walking wearing dark clothing you can see them and the fear is that someone could get knocked down and someone could get injured anyhow your views are welcome on that 1853 And finally, as I go back to the issue of drink, and this was the Irish Daily Mail, because they have revealed that an Oireachtas staff member lobbies, this is lobbying, an Oireachtas member staff now that is, uh, to have the Dáil Bar serve drinks to TDs and senators without the €9 Euro meal. So while all the pubs that are open have to serve a meal uh, of €9 Euros or more, they can't be less, this particular Oireachtas staff member wanted the Doyle Bar to open without serving the €9 Euro meal. And it's also happening as more than 3,500 wet pubs remain closed. And the Irish Daily Mail looked into this particular situation at the moment as this bid has come to relax rules for our senior politicians. Now, I don't think it will happen given on what has happened over the last number of weeks, especially with the anger over Golfgate. But it did give us an insight into what is available at the Doyle Members Bar for those who are going there. And they have a number of items on their menu for €9. For example, you can get a char-grilled aubergine, you can get chicken salsa, uh, you can get a cold meat salad, also a chicken Caesar salad and smoked salmon salad, all for nine euros if you go along to the Doll Bar. Uh, and I'm sure many are availing of that. But this particular staff member wants the Doll Bar, which is open and is serving food. They want the Doll Bar remaining open and not serving food, not serving uh, the nine euro meal that other bars have to enforce in their particular various parts of the country. So the Doll Bar wants to be different uh, than the pubs which are being forced to serve at that particular nine euro meal and of course then the over 3,000 wet bars that remain closed. Your views on that? 1850-333-103 Text or WhatsApp 86 Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. The CSO have published a survey on income and living conditions called enforced deprivation. Well, it seems things don't change as those who were hit are living in rental accommodation, single parents and those who cannot work due to illness. I'm joined by Father Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland on this. Good morning to you, Father Sean. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. I suppose looking at this report, it's still highlighting the same sectors of society who really just seemingly can't get a break. I mean, first of all, looking at those who were renting accommodation, this comes up time and time again, Sean, here on the show. And the biggest uh, issue we face from people is that they are renting, but they're also 
also trying to save for a mortgage and no matter how much they try and save, it's not as enough as prices go up, but also their rents increase. And what this uh, survey shows, and this is the Central Statistics Office work here now, uh, very reliable. So uh, what, they, what they show that, the, what, that what people are talking to you about on the show absolutely supported by the data because more than one in three people more than one in three people living in rented accommodation are actually experiencing deprivation now if they're experiencing deprivation how in the name of God could they actually possibly save for, for to, buy, to, to pay a, a deposit on a house so like, it's like the, the reality is that policy is missing the key people like you're talking about them not getting a break that's absolutely true but they could be assisted a great deal if politicians took seriously uh, the listing that this uh, study shows that the levels of deprivation are at almost one in five in the country 886,000 people in that space uh, you know and that's that's a huge increase it's an increase of 143,000 on the previous year now remember there's also another thing to watch out for here this is not a post-covid survey it was done before covid so the odds are that with the covid reality having his uh, uh, after this co- uh, uh, survey was done that the, the results will, uh, next year next time they're done will actually be worse again yeah very and true, that, and, and that means that the, the deprivation rate will be coming up again. So, for example, take the rental issue that you're talking about and rented accommodation. There needs to be a much bigger approach, a much bigger scale approach to dealing with that issue, and it also needs to be deal, dealt with more radically. It's not good enough to talk about the private cent- sector. We'll give them money and they'll build, and, the, and and it'll solve itself. It won't. What we need to do here is the government itself needs to take responsibility for building social housing. Now, we're not talking about, like, social housing we're talking about here. We're not talking about um, building houses that cost half a million each to build. We're talking about basic uh, social housing, which can be done at a reasonable amount, but responsibility has to be taken by local authorities and people that they involve with it locally, and we would be very strongly supportive of local initiatives in this and local contractors and so on being involved. But the scale of it has to be much larger than anything that has been done in the last 20, 30 years. And the reason is very simple. We've had waiting lists uh, of 70, 80, 90,000 uh, households uh, for years and years, and there's no sort of break in that. And we now have a situation where we have this level of deprivation, like a third of all the people in rental accommodation uh, are basically struggling because they are, they're, they're, they're in rental accommodation, they're paying their rent, but they're actually uh, suffering from deprivation. That's not a way to develop a society. We need social housing that they can access. When those can access social housing, we then have a situation where a lot more rental accommodation is available in the open market. And because uh, the, the supply and demand would be closer to even at the, uh, or level at that time, there wouldn't be more demand for less uh, supply. Uh, you'd actually get a situation where the price might stabilize or actually even go down, which it ought to do, because it has been the key component in driving inflation among poor people. And the, the negative impacts, for example, on the cost of living have mostly driven in the last few years by the cost of accommodation. Yeah, and we mentioned there about people being deprived and for those who are saying, well, what exactly, I mean, what's the level of deprivation? It can be something that a lot of people take for granted. So it could be on this report, uh, they're showing that people can't simply afford to buy new clothes when it comes to Christmas or birthdays. They just 
simply can't buy presents for family or friends if they do it could be less than once a year if they're lucky uh, forget about your girl for a meal or for drinks with, with family because that's not going to happen you just simply if you do you're really budgeting for that for a week and others in this report Sean we, we mentioned the rental accommodation there it's those people who have long term illnesses first of all those who remain out of work because they can't work they can't live on the allowances they're, they're getting but the other side of this and this is something we get a lot on the show as well, is people, and it doesn't really go into it in this report a lot, but it's people who are working uh, that have been ill and they're playing catch-up now for their health bills. And because the health bills, maybe the health insurance company isn't going to cover every single thing, they're paying back 5,000 to 8,000 euros on various cancer treatments or whatever treatment they were on while still trying to pay a mortgage and trying to work. And that's something that needs to be addressed as well, which does touch on in this report, but not totally. Uh, That's true, because people who are coming into that situation from a situation where they had a long illness or something of that nature, or they have a disability and now they have a job, uh, the likelihood is almost one in two, 43.3%. Almost half of people who are either have a long illness, a long-term illness or a disability are experiencing deprivation. Now, if one of those gets a job, uh, uh, you're absolutely right about the fact that they have a big backlog of bills to pay and so on, and that they find it very, very difficult. This goes back to the same point we've making all the time, that you have to uh, deal with policy, not on an item-by-item basis, but in an integrated way. You have to understand that if somebody is... um, Going back to to work, that's very, very, going back to into a job, that's great, or starting a job, that's excellent altogether. But you have to also recognize that those people may be struggling because they they are already experiencing deprivation or because they don't have access to the services or other kinds of things that would be required, services like like support in the healthcare system or whatever the issue actually may be. Or if they're working from home, maybe they don't have the rural broadband that they should have because if they they were in an urban situation, they'd have access to rural... to to broadband and they'll be able to work from home. But the issue in all of that, like, is that you have to simultaneously develop not just the economy, but also if you're going to have a, a thriving economy, you must also develop infrastructure and like like social housing and rural broadband and public transport. And you must also de- develop the, the services at the same time so that you have the services, health and education and childcare and so on. Um, so that you would have a decent infrastructure, decent services at the same time, because that's what's required to drive a vibrant economy. But then the third element in that is that you must have just taxation as well, because you must, if you're going to have a decent um, thriving economy, if you're going to get decent services and infrastructure, you have to have the taxation to pay for them. So I think governments over and over again in this country are trying to finesse this by thinking that in some way or other, they can get the infrastructure and the social services into place and build a vibrant economy without actually charging the tax. When I'm talking about the tax, I'm not talking about increasing income tax. I'm talking about the corporate sector paying a fair share, and I'm talking about broadening the base and and, and, uh, getting a a fairer tax system so those who have more pay more and so on. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be looking at, an integrated system, and doing it all on a sustainable basis as well. And Sean, this isn't the first time you've mentioned that about a sustainable basis and indeed broadening that particular tax bracket. And it's not the first time we've discussed people in rented accommodation who are finding it hard to buy a house. So it's going on for the last number of years, 10 years plus. A simple question is, this is a government report, basically. It's from the CSO, a government organisation. Why is no one listening? 
Well, I think maybe that may be starting to change because of the COVID reality. I think in the COVID time, people have begun to realize that a lot of the things maybe that we hadn't taken too much notice of before turned out to be very important. For example, a lot of people in low-paid jobs turned out to be frontline workers. And they were the heroes when we had to deal with the, the, the sheer scale of what had to be addressed when COVID hit the country back to six months ago. And like you had an awful lot of people, whether they were cleaners or delivery people or people working in retail shops and all the rest of it, like so many others. Not high-paid jobs. Now, there was obviously some who were high-paid, like surgeons and people, uh, doctors at, at, at the highest level and so on. But an awful lot of other people were low-paid workers. And I, one of the things that we realized, I think, in this context, if we're honest, is that we didn't actually appreciate the work they were doing. And as a result, they were working for, they were actually working for low pay. And one of the things that we need to deal with is the working poor issue, because there's over 100,000 people out there uh, with uh, with a job who are actually living in poverty. In fact, in the last uh, census, in the last picture, not census, in the last uh, study of this kind of deprivation one that the CSO did uh, before this one, it showed clearly that there was more people in poverty who actually had a job than there was people in poverty who were unemployed. So, like, that shows you the sheer scale of what's happened, that we've managed, the last government managed, and the previous government maybe managed to create jobs, but an awful lot of them were low-paid jobs, and they weren't jobs that actually gave people hope in terms of being able to deal with the rental issues and the deprivation, their experience that you talked about earlier. So we need to deal with the situation. For example, uh, raising the minimum wage to the level of the uh, living wage. The living wage is what's required if people are to have the minimum that's required uh, uh, to, to, to live life with dignity. And that's done, that, that is de- developed by the living wage uh, uh, study group that does uh, that we're a part of, actually, uh, that researches this and does the numbers. And it's a completely uh, standalone, very uh, transparent way, shows all the numbers and how, how it's actually calculated. And the numbers for at the moment is €12.30 uh, an hour. And that €12.30 is like €2 more than the minimum wage. We need to move the minimum wage to the living wage. And the reality is like that it's better for everybody, including uh, businesses even that are depending on low-paid workers. It would be much better for all of them if they actually paid the living wage and as a result had a better workforce, a labor force that was at least getting itself out of poverty and able to provide the basics that are required to live life with dignity. But that's only one thing that needs to be done. We also need to make sure the services, the healthcare, the education, uh, the childcare and so on are all in place. And then we need to put the infrastructure in place like the rural broadband, like the public transport, like the social housing. And like that might seem like a huge agenda, but like it's the same agenda all the time. It's the same agenda for the last 20 mm. years. We, when we had money and when we didn't have money and when we were flying high and when we were recovering and so on, we've never put the effort in to really tackling these issues. And that's what we need to do if we're going to deal with this deprivation issue that was shown so clearly in the, in the CSO study yesterday. And very briefly, Sean, when we mentioned the solutions there, what does this mean in terms of Ireland's 2020 national poverty target? Now, they didn't publish the numbers in poverty yesterday, but I would be saying I, I, I'll take any bets from anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I won't actually I don't take bets at all. But you know what I mean? I'm yeah. speaking metaphorically. Uh, like, 
there's no way that the government is going to reach its 2020 target. Uh, And like the 2020 target was set 10 years ago as part of a European Commission initiative uh, called Europe 2020, and it was supposed to uh, reduce um, poverty by very substantial numbers uh, across the whole of the European Union, and it would have dramatically reduced it in Ireland. It's not going to happen. Not in any possible way. And as a result, we're going to wind up with a situation where there's still close to 780,000, 700,000. The last time they counted to 680,000 people living in poverty. I think that might actually go up a small bit, but because they didn't give any increase in the welfare rate uh, in in the budget. But um, uh, by the time the COVID thing is over and the numbers are counted, I think it'll have gone up further. We'll be back at three quarters of a million. Of those, about 200,000 are children and these are way in excess of what they were supposed to be in terms of our targets. The reality is that the government of the last 10 years has not in fact uh, taken poverty seriously. It has not taken the elimination or, or even the reduction of poverty seriously. It has worked on the assumption that the poor are just going to be there. There's nothing you can do about it, which is absolutely false and it's absolute betrayal of the most vulnerable people in society. Very true, Sean. For the moment, uh, interesting survey there and report from the CSO. We'll leave it there. Thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks for having me on, uh, John Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Father Sean Healy there of Social Justice Ireland on that particular report from the CSO uh, showing the level of deprivation in Ireland, the various rates and how even those who are working day in, day out are caught up with this just because of the various policies that have been introduced over the last number of years and introduced correctly, I suppose you could say, and, and not dealing with what's happening in everyday life in this particular country. Or again, opening up the question, are our politicians living in a different world, certainly a different bubble than the rest of us? You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. We've heard of a class sent home from a Dublin school this week due to a positive COVID-19 test. But what happens if parents are working and a child is sent home from school? What are the parents entitled to by way of sick leave? Well, Senator Marie Sherlock is employment spokesperson with the Labour Party and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. I mean, first of all, in your role, you have published a new bill to bring in paid sick leave to cover parents who may find themselves in this situation, as many are worried now as they look into the winter months uh, and what they're seeing in schools, like I mentioned there, out of Dublin. Yeah, so I suppose we we published a bill on Tuesday which contained two key elements. The first was to provide paid sick leave on the first day of falling ill to all employees in the country and then separately to that then a temporary measure for parents as we know um, uh, kids have gone back to school this week they've gone back to their early year settings either preschool or creche setting and I think to be fair there's a lot of parents up and down this country wondering how long their children are going to remain in the classroom um, and what's going to happen the, the parents if they have to stay at home and look after their children. So we um, have talked, uh, are putting forward a proposal to extend forced majeure leave. So that's a phrase that would be familiar to some of your listeners and maybe not so much to other listeners. But this is a leave that is um, that a parent can take in the event of illness or an injury to a child and where the parent has to stay at home to look after that child. In Ireland at the moment the, there's a maximum of three days available per uh, over a 12-month period to a, to a parent. 
And we are saying that that needs to be extended um, because really this proposal is about providing clarity to parents and in particular to working mothers because we know anecdotally that when a child becomes ill, uh, a working mother tends to either take paid leave, sick leave themselves or else holiday leave, or else unpaid leave to stay at home and look after the children. And really, we need to do better than that. We need to provide clarity to parents, and, and we need to extend the force majeure leave that's currently provided for in Irish legislation. And while some employers are very good, and some major employers would, would do this in a given circumstance, for an employer that isn't doing this or that cannot do this, how would that work then for the employer if this rule was to come in? Well, at the moment, force majeure is at the... Um, I, I, at the mercy of the of of the of the employer, the employer is at the discretion of the employer, um, and, uh, and and certainly for those employers who are doing the right thing, um, you know, obviously by extending force majeure, we expect that they would continue to do the right thing. For those employers who um, will refuse to to uh, allow for force majeure, leave. To, to, to a worker well well you know I think the government needs to be very clear in encouraging employers and if and if there is a failure then to, to allow for forced majeure leave then I think workers would have to have recourse uh, to the workplace relations commission um, but 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 I think really in the first instance it's about extending the right that a, a worker has and if, if if an employer refuses then then we're, we're going to have to put in place provisions whereby a worker can can uh, take a complaint to the to the WRC, and there wouldn't be any cost to the employer on this. Yes, there would be a cost um, because the the well well it, well it depends on on the workplace arrangement. Um, but I suppose we would expect and hope that employers would uh, will look after their workers in this particular instance. But again, that would have to relate to the in individual workplaces. Our our other proposal within the sick leave and parental leave bill is with regards to paid sick leave. Um, and at the moment in this country, we know that a minority of private sector workers have an entitlement to paid sick leave on the first day of falling ill. So this is where um, uh, we, we, we know, for instance, in the red meat sector, uh, we've seen that numbers as low as 10% there of access to paid sick leave. We know in the childcare sector, the numbers are as low as 16%. So our bill is designed to provide paid sick leave on the first day of, of falling ill. It's also designed to try and um, provide sick paid leave to all employees because uh, some of your listeners would be familiar with illness benefit, but that only kicks in after six days of falling ill. And it's only available to those who've got two years parasite contributions. So if you're a young worker, you're only six months or a year in the workforce, or you're somebody who's taken a long number of years out of the workforce and has come back into a job, you won't have the um, the requisite number of parasite contributions because you need two years parasite contributions plus contributions in the previous two years, year and year before that. So, so you know, we're, we're making a significant proposal here that, that basically should be paid to all employees once they have worked for four weeks um, and that it becomes available on the first day of becoming ill. And then with that cost to the employer, what if you have an employer who says, I just simply can't afford this, I can't do this. Is that then where it goes to the WRC or, or can is there a scheme or something brought in to help employers who won't be able to carry on looking after and paying someone who is out on sick leave if they feel so, that they're, they're struggling to do that? 
So in the context of the pandemic, we absolutely recognise that there are many employers across this country that are trying to get themselves back up on their feet and, 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 and get operating. Um, and, 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 and there are going to be very significant trading challenges over the coming months. So we believe that there needs to be a series of targeted supports uh, to workplaces who would find it difficult to pay to, to pay sick leave. Um, but, uh, but it would need to be targeted at those who are struggling to pay. I, I, I think we need to be careful here that um, there are a number of employers who already offer sick pay schemes, and that is great. There are a number of employers who could afford to offer a sick pay scheme but choose not to, uh, but they are sufficiently profitable that they could. And then, of course, there are the, there's a cohort that aren't sufficiently profitable and that might struggle and that they should uh, be able to access a series of targeted supports. And we'll be putting forward proposals for that in our pre-budget submission. Um, and, of course, the budget is going to take place this coming October. And finally, of course, if this does get the go-ahead and, and is accepted, it could also be beneficial because a lot of people, if they are paying mortgage and struggling already, they may not want to let their employer know that they are sick or that someone in their home is sick. If they know if they're out, as you mentioned, for uh, over a certain number of days, they won't get uh, full payment. So it could at least cause that worry, especially for the likes of the Department of Health, who who are fearful that that could happen. Well, I think the, the key thing here is that if we are serious about trying to keep the economy open, if we're trying to keep workplaces, schools, uh, earlier settings and, and, and other places open over the coming months, then we need to have paid sick leave. Workers need to know that they won't be out of pocket. And, you know, for, for a worker who's on average earnings in this country, who's, you know, just about making ends meet or struggling to make ends meet, you know, they will face, in the absence of paid sick leave, they face a very difficult choice if they develop, you know, one or more of COVID symptoms, because they're deciding, you know, will I go to work and and, and, and be able to pay my bills or uh, do I absent myself for work and actually be out of pocket? And that is a decision that no worker should have to make. And, you know, I think there's an important point to be made here about the HSE have talked about comprehensive rollout of testing and, and, and tracing strategy. And certainly it is my belief that in order for comprehensive testing and tracing to be effective, then it needs to be complemented by paid sick leave in this country. Otherwise, it's not going to work because workers are not going to simply present themselves. And we cannot have a situation like we had in Kildare and Leach and Offaly where whole counties are put into lockdown. Uh, the, the economy is just, or the, sorry, the crisis is just too serious. And I think the risks are just too enormous for us not to have paid sick leave. You know, we're facing into a, a long winter now. There's a lot of uncertainty. Indeed, there's a lot of confusion, I think, amongst workers. And certainly they need to know that they're not going to be out of pocket. I think it's important to also say that the government have put in place an enhanced illness COVID benefit, um, which is €350 Euros per week. And I know in some quarters, some would say, well, you know, that that is great. And it, look, it's a start. But, but if you're on average earning, that €350 per week is less than half of your earnings. So again, it is not enough to deter, to to, to allow workers to make that decision um, to do the right thing and stay at home if they develop COVID symptoms. Very true. And I think a lot of workers would like that clarity when it comes to sick leave because, again, some companies are fantastic, others don't offer that. So it would provide clarity for those. For the moment, Marie, thank you for joining us this morning on that particular issue.
Thank you. Thank you. That is the Labour Employment Spokesperson, Senator Marie Sherlock, on that. I presume for those working and while some companies are fantastic and they do offer sick leave, many others don't. They might offer it to you for a day or two days, but after that, then it's up to yourself. And while the longer you're out, you would apply uh, to the welfare departments uh, for a, a, a salary or a top up or, or sickness benefit or, any, or something like that. You're not getting your, your full in wage. So that means that paying back a mortgage or paying rent or whatever you were substituting different things in your life while you're also struggling if you are sick so uh, would you welcome this particular bill to be introduced so at least there will be clarity then when it comes to sick leave let us know I'm sure many people working would 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 0862 good morning to you Bernie and Sadie taking your calls and comments this morning on 1850 333 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and Meg is on asking about the Dolbar she's saying is the Dolbar closed or has it installed a pizza oven well they do serve food there and I presume they always have served food in that particular bar I mentioned that earlier on the show Uh, but what's angering people this morning is from the Daily Mail whereby an Oireachta staff member has lobbied to have the Dáil Bar serve drinks to TDs and senators without the €9 meal so while the majority of restaurants and bars who do serve food have to serve food with the nine euro meal you can't you can't be in that particular bar and just be getting a drink you have to purchase a nine euro meal and while then we have over 3,000 wet pubs who are closed since March a particular Oireachta staff member felt that the dull bar while it's open and while it's serving food that it should not have to serve the nine euro meal uh, so make yeah the bar is open in the doll, but that is what they are looking for. While they are serving food, the, some uh, staff would like uh, that they didn't have to serve food. On that, Jim reacting to that news and says, have our politicians learned anything from Golfgate if they want to open up the doll bar without having to buy food for nine euros? Again, it's one law for them and one law for the peasants. And a few years ago, there was a list of politicians who had outstanding bar bills not paid. And is it true that they were cancelled? Which is unbelievable if it is. And when you had Big Phil going to follow people to the grave for not paying their water bills and looks like the politicians then get away without paying their bills to the doll. Yeah, they have some brass neck, says Jim, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Yeah, you're right, Jim. Uh, back in 2017, uh, the unpaid doll bar bills that you speak about, uh, they were written off because, uh, according to whoever runs the doll bar, and they said there was no realistic prospect of recovering the sums due, according uh, to a report that was circulated to politicians in those days in 2017. So for those who did owe money to the doll bar, they got away with it. and uh, They did not have to pay any uh, sums or whatever they owed to the doll bar. They were written off. And as you said, Jim, uh, us taxpayers don't get any write-offs. But yet that did happen in the doll bar. And it is open. Um, but you must pay for a meal if you are going to have a drink in the particular doll bar for those who were asking on text as of course they returned to the doll yesterday and on pubs uh, WhatsApp are here saying yes open up all the pubs because all pubs in Europe are open we're the only country that pubs are closed I know this because my son is living in a European country no 
restrictions, no masks, uh, says this t- person. Now, I'm not too sure where he's living because in the majority of countries across the world, uh, they are, everybody's wearing masks uh, and some places are a lot stricter than Ireland. I think it's Paris at the moment whereby if you're outside just walking around the city and not inside in the store, but if you're walking around uh, the city of Paris, you must actually wear a face mask anyhow. And would this government govern the country in a proper manner? All these rules should be gone by now. I want to go back to work, says this particular uh, texter. So I presume, is it that you're working in a bar? Um, and I'd love to know where your, your son is living, what European country or whatever country he's living in, because I, I haven't heard of any uh, country lifting all the restrictions of what you mentioned there. Uh, uh, staying with uh, that particular issue of COVID, and I know earlier on we were mentioning the figures and how for the last number of weeks there was an increase in those over 17 who were testing positive, or sorry, over 70 even who were testing positive for COVID-19 and that was a worry for Neffet because uh, those who were over the age of 70 are more likely to end up in hospital uh, from that particular virus but on this, uh, a texter, because people were asking, do they need to look at how they report the daily figures and uh, people were saying, well we know the counties they give the, the county breakdown of there's a certain amount of cases in Cork and Tipperary and Kerry and Clare and all of that they don't tell us then where those cases are in the particular counties and for Cork people would like to know if they can mention the town where the cases are or the region be that North Cork East Cork or West Cork or wherever if that could be done for maybe larger counties whereby uh, then it would give people a sense of an idea where the virus is and uh, many callers earlier on to the show uh, felt that this would lead to more personal responsibility uh, for people who may be cautious or afraid or others who are not of the disease that might take more responsibility if they knew it was in a particular area. Well, on that, a person on WhatsApp says, knowing the full breakdown of areas with COVID cases is a bad idea as it would lead to a false sense of security. None of us know if we have or anybody else is an undetected carrier on any given day. We do need to keep up our guard as we are all prone on any given day. So face mask wearing alone seems to be for some giving them a false sense of security already. This is that particular person on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and moving to to our chat earlier with uh, Father Sean Healy of Social Justice Ireland on that report yesterday from the CSO on how so many people are deprived and many of those are people who are paying rent and trying to then save for a house and it's impossible to save uh, for a house and uh, obtain a mortgage when you're paying high rents because you have to pay a rent every month and if your rent has increased over the years it's hard to keep up with everything but on that Henry says it's one thing to build a house or get one for free but most people know it's the upkeep is also very expensive. It's the squeezed middle expected to pay for that as well, for the upkeep of these particular houses, asks Henry. I presume you mean if this is people who get a house from the state, from the local council, and the house needs to be maintained. Henry making the point, is it then the squeezed middle are expected to pay for that as well? And many of the ones we speak about in that particular report are the squeezed middle. People with jobs who are renting and the jobs are good jobs, but they're low paid. And a lot of those were created over the last 10 years. So low paid jobs can still consider good jobs, but because of the low pay, people cannot afford to leave uh, rented accommodation. They have to rent. And then they're, again, trying to save for a mortgage, but it's, it's not working out. They simply can't pay rent and pay for a mortgage. And the other side of this is whereby now people can work from home and people are encouraged still to work from home going on the guidelines. But a lot of those new companies that set up over the last 10 years that brought into this country were low 
located in urban areas. So while many would be from a rural area, they had to move then into the cities because that's where the work is. And because of that, uh, more people that want to live in the city, the higher demand, which meant uh, there wasn't enough supply. So prices were going up because there was more demand for uh, either rental properties or indeed uh, for homes that were for sale. So that drove up the prices. So that's another situation that people have found themselves in, leading to people being deprived, which has come out in that report. Also staying with that particular report, a texter here says low paid workers have always had difficulty going off when they were ill. And this is something we spoke as well with uh, Senator Marie Sherlock on the issue of pay for those who are out sick and need uh, sick pay from their employer especially if you're in a situation where your child is sent home from school for two or three weeks you need to know there's money coming in and this person is making the point that low paid workers always had difficulty going off when ill and it's only because they might jeopardise the health of others now by going to infect the higher earners in the community that their situation is getting any kind of hearing it isn't the betterment of the low paid workers themselves that this is the concern of the government and higher bodies at all, really just that they know they will get the infection from them in the community, from the load paid workers in the community should they come across them. So it's a false compassion, says this particular texter, but give them the money, they do need it and cancel the independence of the disgraced politicians, uh, says the texter on 0862103103. Now earlier on, it was Noel who raised the question of people who are walking on our roadways in the evenings and people who he felt, first of all, were walking on the wrong side of the road uh, when walking on the roadways and then people not wearing reflective wear. So you, you couldn't see them, basically. And because we're in a situation whereby it is getting darker earlier in the evenings now and dusk uh, can be one of the most dangerous times for driving because you're, uh, you might not see a pedestrian on the road. No making the point. It should be law now that everybody who was walking in the evening or whenever has to make themselves visible, has to wear something that is visible so that the motorists can see you when they're driving along the road. Well, on this, Fran says, yes, I agree with Noel. It's a no-brainer. Of course, everyone should wear high-vis when walking on the roads. Even in bright sunlight, if they go under trees or the shade, they need to be visible. Make it law and save lives ASAP, says Fran. Angela says, yes, I agree with Noel. I was driving in my local town yesterday and the amount of people walking wearing dark jeans and black tops and it was getting dark and the streetlights had not switched on as yet so it was hard to see uh, those walking along the road and then you had a situation whereby some were deciding to cross the road in front of me and I was trying to figure out what are these people doing and when you're at a distance looking up the road uh, you actually are wondering is that a person or was it a baller at one stage Angela said so it is very dangerous I think people need to comp on especially if they're walking in the evening time agreeing with Noel there is Angela a jury says yes I agree with Noel everyone needs to realise it's getting dark earlier so yes where is something reflective uh, a jury says I nearly knocked down two women yesterday evening as they were walking out in the middle of the road again maybe there was social distancing but I came around uh, a rural road uh, again coming around the bin so it's hard to see and next thing there was two women in the middle of the road but wearing dark clothing and it was getting dark no reflective gear on them uh, it was very lucky that I didn't knock them do- down on the roadway uh, Jerry says it could have been a very different outcome this morning uh, says Jerry on text to 86 while Greg is in Bandon uh, he was on the phones to 1850 uh, Greg saying everyone on the road should be made wear yellow vests and
and all bikes on the roadway should have wing mirrors like cars and motorbikes do. Uh, that would uh, bring more safety into it, says Greg in Bandon. And Anne on WhatsApp says, parents also need to mind their children as in my housing estate. And says the kids are out playing late in the evening, but now it's darker earlier. And because the kids continue to play, you have a situation motorists are driving into the estate. Uh, they can't see the kids because the kids aren't wearing anything reflective. And of course, uh, children will be children. They'll be uh, jumping around, uh, running around the various greens and running from the green in the estate and then out onto the roadway. Uh, and that's the danger that one of the children will get knocked down because of them jumping in and out of everything. A reminder for parents to have a word with your children when they are out and about because as Anne, Anne is making the point that uh, your your child will come in for dinner they run back out again maybe at 6.30 while it's bright. They could be out for two hours running around the green in the estate. You know they're safe. You might be able to see them from your window. Uh, but that split second of them running out onto the road at r- when it gets dark around 8.30, 8 or 9, wherever, uh, that's when uh, Anna's saying parents need to think about their kids now, especially in a situation whereby if they're out all evening and they're in housing estates the danger that is out there uh, when they're not wearing bright clothes and certainly not wearing reflective clothes anyhow and thank you for your text to 0862103103 and uh, just a reminder for bingo players in Kenturk thanks to John Fuller for texting this and he says the bingo players are just to be informed in Kenturk that the proposed drive-in bingo at Kenturk this Sunday is deferred and that is due to government guidelines. On the way, we're going to speak to the Migrants' Rights Group and this is on the meat industry and why they need to clean up their act when it comes to migrant workers especially given the fact that so many have tested positive over the last number of weeks from COVID in meat factories. What do the factories and the industry themselves now need to do to protect those workers? We'll discuss that next. C103 Jobs and on today's job spot, we have opportunities for the Park Cinema in Clonakilty. They have a vacancy for a part-time cinema supervisor. Previous experience in a similar role is preferred, but not essential. Send your CV to Maria Carolyn. Uh, she's the human, at Human Resources. You can email her, mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. An experienced childminder is required for a six-month-old baby and a school-going child three days per week in the Kenturk area. You must have your own transport. You can call 087-644-3117 for further details. And Clover Hill Food Ingredients in Mill Street. They require a warehouse operative. You can send your CV by email to hr at cloverhill.ie or by post to hr. Clover Hill Food Ingredients, Mount Leader Industrial Estate in Mill Street. And you'll find these jobs and more online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. Migrant right groups, they're calling for the meat industry to be cleaned up following issues over the last number of weeks in certain meat factories for workers who tested positive for COVID-19. Breed McEwen joins me from the Migrant Rights Centre of Ireland. Good morning to you, Breed. Uh, Just going back, first of all, to the text in earlier, and this was regarding those TDs back in 2017 uh, when they were in the dull bar, they did not uh, pay their bills and those bills were written off. Uh, Well, Pat says, if that's the case, those TDs should be named and shamed. And there was more than one. Uh, There was a number of them seemingly, but Liam is reacting to this. Liam has a different view. Liam says those TDs who ran up big bar bills in the dull were mostly buying drinks for visitors to the dull. They were not drinking it themselves. 
shows that taxpayers are willing to take freebies when they get the chance but then get on the high horse when the bar bill is not paid. Do you agree with Liam on that who says uh, those TDs who did uh, bring and and rise up those big bills in the Dáil Bar that they were mostly buying drinks for visitors to the Dáil and he says those giving out this morning uh, that they'll take the freebies uh, but then they get on a high horse when we hear that a TD has not paid their bar bill. Your views on that from Liam and It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And on 1850-333-103 now, Bree McEwen rejoins me uh, from the Morrigan Right Centre. Hi, Bree, you can hear me there, okay? Hiya, can you hear That's me? That's a better lie now. Yeah, that's way better. Okay. So we were just discussing <laughs> there fun. regarding the, the meat plants and I suppose while many of us would have been aware of the situation within meat plants, I think the highlighting of what happened over the last number of months with COVID just showed to some people the conditions that those workers are facing on a daily basis and the low pay they're on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I think COVID has really lifted the lid um, on this in, on this industry, and it's really become a national shame how workers are treated in this sector. Um, you know, before COVID, meat workers were coming to MRCI with complaints of regular injuries, and that could be kind of day-to-day lacerations or bruises. It could be injuries from being forced to carry kind of overly heavy weights or faulty machinery. And people have even come to us, you know, missing limbs, missing digits. And we've heard of consistent kind of reports um, of poor health and safety practices. And to be honest, really harrowing accounts of bullying and discrimination. Um, And basically all the workers we speak to, there's just a common thread of people feeling really worthless and undervalued. And with absolutely... um, People just don't feel able to speak out to speak out about their conditions. Yeah, because I suppose if they speak out, many aren't part of a union, and if they're on low pay, they are really relying on on, on the money they get to keep themselves here in this particular country. Uh, and many will have come here because the countries they are coming from would not have sufficient employment, so they feel that, that they're stuck mm-hmm. in a situation. I suppose in a way, aren't they? Yeah, people are working in really long hours and low wages. You know, they're reliant, as you say, on, on month to month on that income. People are terrified to speak out, even, you know, uh, to MRCI often, um, in case they lose their job. And for work permit holders, um, which make up 20% of the migrant workforce in, in the sector, their immigration status and essentially their lifeline is kind of attached to this employer's 
extremely difficult um, to change uh, employer when you're when you're on a work premise. Um, and I would just say the whole sector, you know, it is different. Different. Some employers are stronger than others in terms of health and safety policies, policies in terms of work practices. But I would say across the sector, it's very highly regulated in terms of food safety, but very under-regulated um, in terms of labour practices. So that's why we're calling for a meeting with Taoiseach to, to try and um, use this uh, kind of veil being lifted as an opportunity to clean up the sector and the workers, I mean, is it the fact that the factories themselves, do they go after these workers and recruit them or are the workers actively looking for jobs in Europe and, and come across Ireland or how do they employ these workers that, given the conditions are so poor? Yeah, as far as I'm aware, um, most uh, workers are recruited uh, in country um, and a lot of people come from kind of skilled uh, meat working you know, families maybe from from butchers or um, deboning uh, plants kind of in their home countries and then they're brought to Ireland um, to work at these factories. So it's it's like a a recruitment campaign so in the country they're living in more or less? Yeah, I don't know if if it's as consistent as that. I think probably different plants have different practices. Um, But certainly for work permit holders, um, you know, we've heard a report of recruiters being sent to those countries and then recruiting meat workers from those from, you know, say Brazil or South Africa or Botswana and then bringing them to Ireland on work permit. And something that you might not be able to address uh, today, but it's it's something we're very aware of on the show here from towns here in Cork, which have meat factories in the town or nearby, is the accommodation and, and the issue of accommodation. And it seems uh, that those workers, many of them, are provided with accommodation or are given accommodation or are told about accommodation, but that you could have a situation whereby four or five who are working in a particular meat factory are also then sharing a house. And when it comes to COVID and if there is an outbreak, you have those then sharing that particular house, sharing everything in that house, but also mingling in the community, which does pose a risk at the moment. Yeah, obviously, like meat workers are members of their local communities, just as we all kind of are. I think accommodation, I've heard different reports, but from the workers that we've spoken to, actually a minority of people live with other workers. Most people live with families or maybe one or two friends. And actually, um, I spoke to uh, a meat worker last week who... um, lived with five other workers and uh, he would be one of the minority cases uh, from our perspective. And he said that two of them tested positive for COVID and the other four had to self-isolate as well. But during that period, they actually created a rota for the kitchen and the bathroom so they weren't sharing space at different times. They had a cleaning rota. They really cared about their colleagues and really didn't want to, to infect um you know, as they were positive, they really didn't want to infect the four people who, who had tested negative. So um, I think like that story of the kind of accommodation side isn't being told. And I think whenever you have workers in a workplace who are working where the production hasn't slowed, where people are still working to shoulder to shoulder, where people are working on top of each other, if they live together outside of the home, you know, but they're not saying good kind of... Um, practices around COVID health and safety in their workplace. Do you know, it doesn't, I think that's the, um, that's the place where they feel most at risk. Yeah, of course. And the thing here, I suppose, as you mentioned, it has come out because of COVID, but many in towns where there is meat factories are well aware of what has happened. I mean, in the Midlands, a lot of locals were left angry because they felt the mismanagement of the meat industry, which they highlighted before anything happens, uh, let their area down and brought their area into lockdown is what they said because they did highlight the matters, but no one listened and they don't want that happening elsewhere in the country. What would you like to happen now, given that uh, it seems those living in those towns where factories are, are well aware 
aware of the working conditions, are well aware of accommodation uh, where those workers are living and know what's going on, but yet our government don't seem to be doing a lot on it. I mean, what, what would you like to see? Because when it comes to the meat industry, this isn't the first issue we've had over the years uh, with meat in this country. Yeah, I mean, we would... Um definitely welcome an independent task force uh, looking into the sector as a whole so not just looking at COVID but also kind of um, at the wider historical health and safety and working practices um, because if we see stronger rights for workers um, upheld you know hopefully you'd see uh, better practices in terms of um, uh, practices around COVID and protection of workers um, ultimately we want to see workers going into safe um, environment. I think that's the least uh, that the sector and the government uh, can offer. These workers are being asked to work in the front line um, on, during the pandemic and they just deserve a, place, a safe place to work to get vital kind of food on our tables. So we hope that the government takes this opportunity and, and we'll certainly keep speaking out <laughs> on behalf of workers until that happens. Yeah, and we'll wait and see what happens because I think now they have to move given that what has happened in the Midlands over the last number of weeks and the public outcry over this because as the public are saying, we knew what was happening but no one was addressing this and it's the workers overall that were suffering within those factories. For the moment, Breed, thanks for raising that on the show this morning and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that is Breed McKeown there from the Migrant Rights Centre of Ireland and your views on that? I mean, many people... Uh, especially in Bandon, Watergrass Hill and from oil will be familiar with workers who do work in the meat factories. Uh, many are uh, coming in from other countries to work in those factories but many locals will realise they're on low pay, bad conditions and many sharing accommodation in the town. Some say provided by the factory, some say the factory would uh, show them where the housing is and maybe it's a deal with somebody in that particular area or an agency but still you could have a large amount of those workers sharing uh, or renting uh, from a particular either factory or someone that owns a house in the same town uh, and that all needs to be looked at if there is an outbreak in a particular factory. Now on that because we've got numerous calls over the last number of weeks I know we didn't get a, uh, uh, we, we had an answer a few weeks ago that said that they weren't testing. I can tell you now we did uh, get on to Meet Industry Ireland yesterday on this and they are now testing as the HSC is conducting this but they are testing now at meat factories in Bandon and Watergrass Hill because I know a lot of callers to the show over the last two or three weeks we're asking given on what happened in Kildare were those now working in meat factories here in Cork being tested and they've confirmed this morning that they are so they are testing all workers that are entering the meat factories in uh, both Bandon and indeed in Watergrass Hill and then the others in the area as well uh, that statement was issued to us this morning from Meat Industry Ireland and time for this week's Garda File I'm joined by Sergeant John Kelly from Fermoy Garda Station good morning to you John Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. First of all, I know we're going to touch on certain scams that are unfortunately doing the rounds again, but we're going to start with a break-in, and this uh, took place in Buttevant. Yeah, mixed bag um, as regards crime uh, this morning. I suppose just to let people know, there's an organised crime gang uh, targeting kind of, uh, or have been in the area, and they've targeted uh, retail. Now, they've only done one retail premises uh, in in our area, but we believe this gang... um, they are in possession of a red Volkswagen Golf. Uh, it's a GTI version. It's a fairly fast version, probably a 08 uh, reg originally. We don't know what is on it now. Um, because we see with those gangs, um, very often um, they're going to have uh, what a, a ring or plate on them, a uh, plate belonging to a, you know, a real car, you know, so that it, it evades detection for a good while longer. But on, on Tuesday morning, on the first of the night, so two days ago, one thirty in the morning, 
The alarm went off at a pharmacy down in Buttevant. The shutters were forced in. Uh, Gardaí were on the scene promptly. Um, nothing was taken, but ju- just to raise awareness with people out there that we do have this gang uh, around at the area. They are crossing the the crossing, you know, divisions. We're seeing them operating across the southern region. So for the people just to be aware, there's no point in I giving a number because, as I say, the number could be could be ch- changed within, within within a couple of days. Okay, but it's the car you want people to watch out for, I, I suppose, is it? Yeah. yeah. It's, and it's just a, give the car details again. It's a red BW Golf. It's a GTI. Um, there's a, an unusual kind of a grill, a GTI grill on it. So just to be uh, aware of that, it's a sporty car. But... Um, uh, it's operating could, could be doing burglaries, you know, you name it. Uh, it'll do where it's crime. It's they're they're looking for crimes of opportunity. So just for people to be aware of it. Uh, usually it's three to four uh, males, maybe twenty five to thirty uh, could be in this car. You know, so uh, you know anything comes to mind, just you know give your local guard stationery. Your no, no local that's twenty four seven guard station and uh, local district headquarters and other. Um, um, just give them a quick call with your suspicions and we'll walk from there. Okay, the something... I, uh, yeah, from yesterday, John, this is a, a different incident though, but it's in Middleton. Different incident, different incident, and again, it's just to raise awareness with uh, um, retailers out there. A uh, non-national uh, travelling criminal gang. This consisted of a male and two females. Now, what they done in this instance, um, they didn't go in just to change money. You know, we see it regularly. They go in with uh, 450s and they try and confuse the cashier into giving them 420s and they pocket maybe 100, right? So maybe it's as a result of going around the country as cashiers now are, are aware of this to a, a greater extent. But in this case, what they've done, it's a variation on the same scam. They purchased two vacuum cleaners, uh, 400 apiece. So um, that came to a total of 800. Um, but they paid over, they paid over the eight hundred, but they they kept back a hundred. So they actually only paid over seven hundred. They then inquired off the cashier. We need those delivered to Belfast, right? The retailer said, "Of oh, you, we don't do deliveries to Belfast." Um, um, so you, oh, we don't want them. So we want our money back. So they went over to the customer service with their receipt, with their two vacuum cleaners, the receipt for eight hundred. And they got eight hundred back, making a net profit of a hundred. So it's a variation on this chain scam, but for people to be aware of it, that they might, uh, as I say, buy product and then look for it to be uh, delivered to an address, which of course that you can't that, that you can't deliver to, you know. Um, so for people to be aware of it, the the last incident there I have. Um, now I have some information to, uh, as well. I just want to. Uh, give there about mobile phone theft. But the last incident I have from a crime point of view, um, the Waterloo area, bogus tradesmen, you know, they're out there, they're out there every day operating, trying to find somebody. Um, in this case, they found a person, uh, they agreed to do work, and of course the work wasn't done, but uh, an amount of money um, was, was, was paid over. Um, so again, this, it follows the usual pattern. Uh, the person, the injured parties, tried to make contact with them, and all phones that they were using, uh, you know, have now gone dead oh, and God. obviously have been have been thrown away. So, for people, do not enter into any contract with, with those people. Please make sure that you get reputable um, people to do your guttering, to do your roofing, to do your building. You know, they come come back. They might even claim to be tree surgeons. You know, so just be aware of that. They're out there. They're out there every day and they're making quite an amount of money, you, you know, by 
by targeting, you know, vulnerable, vulnerable people, you know. Mm. And this was in the Waterloo area near Blarney, this particular yes. one happened. Any idea of, of, of who called your car or van or anything like that? None, none whatsoever in this case. Uh, you know, the vans are interchangeable, you know. Might yeah. be a red van, might be a blue van, you know, they might have magnetic uh, uh, lettering that go across the van one day to tell you they're a roofing company. You know, you see the same van the next day and there's another magnetic lettering road across to say, you, you know, they're a guttering company, you know. So literally they can come in anything, you know. The, um, and, and I think uh, some of those people, you know, they change vans from our... They change what they're driving from from time to time with with other with other people as well, you know. So, of course, yeah. So be, yeah. Be, be careful and beware if people are just, just calling for careful, no be reason. Aware, just beware, you, you know. As a as a good neighbour, if you see what's being carried out at a you know at an elderly or vulnerable person's house, you know that's the time to maybe just call in and see are they okay and you know to just inquire, you know, what are they getting done or you know, and if they have any suspicions following the visit, you know, contact your local guard station, you know, and we'll call out and uh, as I say, um, we go through say a line of stuff with the contractors in question as regards tax numbers and everything else. You know, um, you know, and uh, and trying to say. decipher if they are for real or Absolutely. if they are scam artists, and, and yeah. more than uh, likely, if something like this, they you'll nearly know straight away uh, of what line they fall on. And uh, finally, John, this week, this is something that Gardaí have been appealing for at the start of this week and, and telling people to be careful. And it's smartphones being stolen over the last while. Something you're noticing there uh, within Angarda uh, Shikona. Smartphones, uh, yeah. And when you think of it, John Paul, you know, I mean, each one of us. You know, it's not just a smartphone. It's a, literally a portable personal computer yeah. that's inside an everyman's pocket, you know, that incorporates, a, you know, a, a camera as well. So, like, there's a lot of people, if they lost the phone tomorrow morning, but, you know, they mightn't have the photographs that's on it backed up to the web, you know, backed up to the cloud. You know, they mightn't have downloaded them. You know, there's a lot of valuable contact information. There's bank details on those phones, you know, and we quite literally, inside in our pro- property stores, we have thousands of phones inside and gathered property stores around the country that we'd love to return if we could, you know. Adding a friend or family member details to emergency contact on your phone can, you know, can help us to return it. Now, if you go on the Garda website, you know, there's there, there's videos on it to learn how to put, uh, to, you know, to put on um you know, to put on the details onto your smartphone. Your smartphone, your iPhone, you know, they're all different, you know, but the videos are there. Now, um, I suppose when you look through the statistics, you know, and I looked through them briefly there myself, I think, was it 64, 65% of the stolen phones are in the greater Dublin area? You know, um, it's it's not a major problem in the country, but, you, you know, they're still being stolen, say, out of cars when they're parked. I think only 1 or 2% you know, of the smartphones stolen, you know, uh, applied to the Cork North area. But, you know, as I say, it's, it's just something that people can be a lot more careful about, you know, particularly if, you know, adding an emergency contact, you know, on the, on, on the, on the home screen so that even if it's locked, you know, that it comes up. It comes up you with know, the number g- going across the screen so that someone can ring that if they find it on the side of a street or something like that. Uh, exactly. And, and also, and I suppose, be careful. App. Yeah, be, be, be yeah, careful, though. tracking app. Put a tracking tracking app on your phone, you know. But I mean, if you have a tracking app and your phone has been stolen, you know, you know, don't go do the, uh, you know, don't go t- think you're being brave, uh, you know, and follow the person yourself on your tracking app. Get in contact with the Garda Shikana, 
you know, that's that's something that we look after. And you know? when you say stolen and, and people are texting in saying be careful if you're out in a restaurant or, or wherever you Absolutely. are, especially people out and about now outside eating, leaving the phone on, on the table, be mindful of those around standing on the street watching the table. They're not watching what you're eating, they're watching your phone. Uh, but also outside of that, uh, being careful, is it, not, is it that the scenario they're being stolen or is it people walking down the street and the phone is on their, in their pockets kind of sticking out? Do we know how they're uh, obtaining the, the phones? It's, it's not, not really pick pocketing really John no. Paul you know it's more uh, what you describe you know uh, you know people not paying attention in restaurants um, I mean go back to last summer uh, or and the summer before what was a, a scam was you know when your tour is around the fella coming up you know you're sitting out at an outdoor cafe a fella comes up with a map drops it on top of your phone you know asks some rubbish question about you you, you know where do you find St Anne's Cathedral St Mary's Cathedral or whatever and you know you're being helpful and you point them on the map Next thing, after a few minutes later, he's gone, but so is your phone. You know, he's, he's after pamming your phone while the map was sitting on top of it, you know? Yeah, um, so... Situa- situations like that, nightclubs, you know, people people coming out of nightclubs. I remember a friend of mine, uh, going back a couple of years ago, his daughter came out of a nightclub. Uh, she was, like a lot of the kids, changing out of the high heels back into a pair of flats, you know, left the phone down on a ledge, and next thing, another girl passed by, next thing she noticed her phone was gone. Now, lucky enough, they had a tracking app on the phone. And literally, the guards turned up at the house uh, the following morning. They knew it was one of two houses. They turned up at the house and literally called there and said, look, by any chance you didn't, uh, did anyone in the house who you socialised last night, did, did anyone find the phone? You know, a very embarrassed girl looking to, came to the door and uh, holding out the phone and, and basically saying, oh, I was just going to report it. Okay, yeah. You know, I wonder what's so it. the tracking app, you know, the tracking app in this case had paid dividends, you know. So the tracking and app, yeah. make sure you have it. Some phones already have it installed. Make sure you have if you don't. And also, yeah. I know within those tracking apps and indeed if you have an iPhone or indeed an Android phone, you can go on google.com or, or the I, iCloud. Right. You can actually shut down your phone as well from Absolutely. those services. So Absolutely. that can be something I mean, to be aware if, of. If for those that even don't own a smartphone, you know, they can uh, go on to... Uh, um, star hash zero six hash and bring up the IMEI number. Oh, yeah. That 15 digit number that's unique to each phone. And when they call the service provider, you know, they can block the phone straight away, you know. So it's, you know, it's the same thing with smartphones. Literally, you have a phone that's now, it's, it's, it's blocked, you know. And they can't um, be used then. So that there's no yeah, good well, to them. It yeah, it can. Yeah, it can't be used, you know. So, um, look, the main thing is don't get it stolen. Because, as I say, there's a lot of information on them. They're, they're a portable PC, literally, now with, with everything that's on them, you know. Especially, yeah, now there's a bank details and everything else that we could have on them. John, uh, thank you for that. Good words thank of you, advice John, there Paul. regarding the phones. And we'll chat to you soon. That is Sergeant John Kelly there, who is joining us this morning from Fermoy Garda Station with this week's Garda File. Good afternoon to you. Our lines are open. Bernie and Sadie taking your comments this afternoon to 1850-333-103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Uh, same numbers for pet questions because our resident vet, Jane Pickett, of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket she'll join us after 12.30 so if you have a question for Jane get that into us as well on those particular numbers now a lot of calls and comments in on various issues discussing this morning one of those though is in connection with the Dáil Bar and also on the issue of bars opening up those bars that are not serving food well on that and 
I know he came out yesterday saying this, but the Tornista has said that he does want these bars reopened. Uh, Leah Varadkar was speaking to our Limerick studio earlier uh, and he believes that the publicans will be able to manage their businesses in a way that won't push the public health of those going into the bar at risk. Now, the reopening date for pubs not serving food has been delayed a number of times, as we know, over the last number of months. And the due, at the moment, the, the due date for them to remain shut was at least, anyhow, until September 13th. That could be changing. We'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, Leo Varadkar has said that he has confidence that publicans can make this work. He was speaking this morning at our Limerick studios. The fact that wet pubs are open in every country in Europe now, uh, albeit with restrictions and we've also seen how restaurateurs and gastro pubs have done a really good job uh, pub serving food and restaurants have been open for months now there are very few examples of clusters of infection in restaurants and gastro pubs so i think they've shown that they can actually follow the rules and regulations albeit with a few notable exceptions and i'd like publicans to be given the chance to show that they can do it as well and i mentioned earlier how that there was going to be a number of measures brought out and it was the minister for justice helen McAtee announced that yesterday so well, Leo Varadkar is saying that publicans can make this work and he wants to see those particular pubs open. And Helen McAtee, the Justice Minister, has said that the pubs should be able to and finally reopen their doors because they'll be given these new laws. The guarantee will be uh, basically three strikes and out kind of a law for bars. So if they do uh, not adhere to the regulations for COVID-19, then uh, they will be shut down. And also one of those includes uh, that when it comes to the renewal of their licences uh, that will be taken in there could be an objection to them renewing uh, their licence uh, when it comes up whenever that will be but on all of this then and the claims that the government are putting in plans to reopen the bars uh, this and I, I mentioned that earlier that we know the independent entities are meeting today and discussing this and we will speak to the Cork independent entity Michael Collins uh, tomorrow on the show on this but they are meeting all day but in the last few minutes it's been dismissed uh, by one particular independent TD in publican and that is Kerry TD Danny Healy of course who uh, also own a bar in uh, Kilgarvan and uh, because of this uh, as Minister are saying that the new guard of power is you know, enforcing the public health laws that it will pave the way for everything to open but again uh, I'm sure maybe some other publicans may agree with Danny Healy Ray on this uh, they say uh, that even though it's been discussed today all of this is pointless unless the guidelines are in place for bars to reopen this is what Danny Healy Ray said earlier on but we do not have the rules or the regulations that will apply to the wet pubs and that's why I'm not voting for uh, to give him the minister power or to give anyone else power uh, for, for, for rules or regulations that are not yet in place or for to, 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 to cater for those rules and regulations that are not yet clearly in place. So would many agree with Danny whereby, whereby a lot of people would welcome the pubs to reopen but if they, if they are going to have these particular rules but then there's no particular guidance uh, for those particular wet bars uh, are they right to say well, what's the point in going ahead and opening everything and having these rules if we don't have uh, guidance in place for wet bars those bars that don't serve food your views are welcome on that 1850 333 text of WhatsApp 086 as talks on reopening those particular bars continues
across the day at Leinster House and staying with bars because I did mention earlier about the Irish Daily Mail and this is the story they have about a particular person who works in the Oireachtas and wanted the Dáil Bar to which is open and serving food but they wanted the Dáil Bar uh, to be open and not serve food so that TDs and senators could go into the particular bar and they would not need to fork out nine euros for a particular meal. They could have a drink and not have food while then we have a number of bars, over 3,000 closed uh, because they're not allowed open, the wet bars, but yet they wanted the dull bar to be open. Anyhow, in response to that, a lot of people angry at this and feel it's incorrect and it's typical of one law for them and one law for others uh, on this. And says, on the dull bar, close it down altogether and open a coffee dock only. If they were doing their job well, they wouldn't need a drink. Give them a mug of coffee to keep them awake. What a joke they are, says this particular texter. While Colm in Buttevant says, they are paid well and they get huge expenses so no excuse for them not to pay their bill and this goes back to an earlier text from Jim who was making the point that again there should be no bar in the Doyle but uh, was saying that while we've uh, all are paying our taxes was another case a number of years ago whereby TDs did uh, rack up huge bills in the Doyle Bar and did not pay them and Jim was right there was uh, bills at the Doyle Bar created by TDs which were written off because they said they could not physically get the money off them and Colm making that particular point saying they are paid well and they get huge expenses so no excuse for them not to pay their bills TDs can add drinks bought for their constituents to their expenses uh, says Colm at 1850 well Eileen in Clonakilty says I don't think bars should be open until after the working day is finished anyhow uh, regarding the Dáil Bar and I know earlier discussing that Liam in Bandon on those particular bills that were written off Liam made the point that uh, those TDs who ran up the big bar bills in the Dáil were mostly Liam said buying drinks for visitors to the Dáil they were not drinking it themselves and the taxpayers are willing to take freebies when they get the chance but then get on their high horse when the bar bill is not paid. Well, Jim is responding to Liam in Bandon and Jim says uh, that response from Liam in saying it was the bill for the politicians' friends or constituents that they had ran up and the dull bar could not go after them for it. Sure, if that was the case, I don't think that listener would go into his local bar and order drinks for his friends and not pay for the drinks and expect his publican to write off his bill as a bad debt. But again, it looks like a different law for our politicians, says Jim on text to 0862103103. And I think that's the big thing coming out of all of this is the fact that there's one law for, for those in power and one law for other people. And that's what angered people this morning with that particular report in the Daily Mail whereby you had a person in the Iraq there's a staff member who had lobbied uh, to have the Dáil Bar serve drinks to TDs and senators without the nine euro meal and you would ask why should they be allowed what makes them different from the rest of the community surely if you're lobbying for the Dáil Bar to have a particular situation where they can serve drink with no food uh, then why can't the wet bar open and uh, the wet bars across the country open why give them 
priority over others and Jim makes a good point is that you can have the case of them and us and we saw what happened with Golfgate and the anger that is still falling off from that so I mean this would cause more anger if that was the case that you would have a situation in the Dole Bar would run with no food being served now it is there is food being served there but the proposal was that they would not need to serve food while other bars uh, are remaining closed across the country and again it would lead that situation of a them and us anyhow thank you for your calls and texts in relation to the Dole Bar and overall, uh, what should happen? I mean, Danny Healy-Rain making the point now that on, until publicans get clear guidance, what is the point in opening uh, those particular wet bars? Uh, we'll get back to those comments uh, on that shortly. But just going uh, to something else, and this is regarding, uh, the, we spoke earlier regarding sick pay for those who are worried that their child may be sent home for school for two or three weeks and the parent then will have to uh, be off work. And the Labour Party are calling uh, for sick leave for all parents who find themselves in that situation because everybody especially in private companies uh, your sick leave uh, works in different ways and every company has a different uh, way of dealing with sick leave well on that Tim in Yol says on their particular proposal uh, from the Labour Party unfortunately the problem with this proposal is that when sick leave is in place within the workplace it is totally abused by workers they look upon it as an additional annual work leave and will end up using it each year regardless as they feel it is their entitlement check the public sector where this is in place and you will see the abuse if it's not to be put in place or if it is to be put in place there needs to be a ceiling on it as in the specific amount of days only that you can take six says Tim and Yol. and yeah the public service I mean we, we do hear that and we see that in reports as well that many working in the public service feel I don't know if you get 20 days holidays a year or 25 days holidays a year or whatever people get and you might have a situation then and it's really only the public service I don't think in the private service it would work or it does work because in the private service you don't have a situation where we come into work knowing that you have so many days off a year you can take sick uh, because you will be questioned in a private company and, and why you are sick and if you were out sick it would need to be genuine because they will get company doctors after you or or make sure your own doctor is sending in reports you just can't go missing uh, for a long period of time but yeah you are right and we do hear those reports from the public service and from people themselves working there because it annoys so many who do work hard within our public sector I can see others then taking advantage and that is the case in every employment right across the world public, private whatever you're in it makes no difference human is human and they'll, they'll make what they can of everything and that is happening especially though in the public sector whereby people realise they have sick days left and they'll use them as holidays uh, but you would not get away with that so much in a private company uh, but uh, Tim making the point public sectors it does happen uh, but it does annoy people there as well as uh, so everywhere else uh, Tim thank you for your text to 86 103 and just staying with the issue around uh, gatherings and indeed around maybe pubs uh, Dennis is tuned into us in Oxford in the UK hello to you Dennis and he says as regards the illegal gathering at that particular golf club every crime has a punishment each and every one attending should agree to paying a heavy fine as do the rest of the public it's definitely a case law uh, says Dennis in Oxford I mean would you welcome that going back to that particular issue in Galway that those who attended should pay a heavy fine or maybe that particular heavy fine should go to a charity in this particular country your views are welcome thank you Dennis in Oxford on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and earlier it was Noel on text who was raising the issue of people walking uh, in uh, late at, well not late at night but late in the evening 
or at dusk and it can be harder now to see people at dusk because it's getting late around 8, half 8, getting dark even around 8 or 8.30 or 9 o'clock and he's making the point people are out walking wearing dark clothes uh, not wearing any reflective wear and people were texting in saying yes all agreeing with Noel if you're out walking you should be wearing some level of high-vis jacket or a high-vis vest or something so the motorists can see you especially as it's getting darker earlier now because if you're wearing dark clothes the motorist is trying to figure out is that a person or what is it walking down in front of them uh, so many people agreeing with Noel on that also he was making the point of uh, people walking on the wrong, wrong side of the road and we had texts in from a number of people with regards to housing estates and this was with regards to children who are out playing they might go in for their dinner go out again and before you know it an hour is gone it's getting dark but kids being kids and a housing estate being a housing estate they'll be in the green area and they'll jump along from the green to the road to the green and cars coming down uh, when it's getting dark they may not see the children because the like they'll be just running around and enjoying themselves not really taking any notice of the cars but many cars are, are driving into the housing estate and because it's dark, they don't see the children and uh, listeners are making the point for parents to be aware of this uh, because you could have an accident waiting to happen. Well, on that then, this has brought up the issue of speeding, something we dealt with earlier on this week and the village we mentioned has come up again and this is the village of Drumahan. Anne is asking the question about Drumahan. She's saying the speed of lorries and cars in Drumahan village and driving through the village is gone crazy. We now have the children who are back to school, but there is no cop on at all from all these motorists. Is there anything that can be done about this? Uh, says Anne, the text, I know it's 6210 but I suppose you could mention it to your local guard station. No, I'm not too sure what resources they have uh, to deal with that at the moment. Uh, but also outside of this, and if it is a big issue in Drumahan, as you say it is, uh, I think there is in one of the approach roads to Drumahan, there is one of those signs. So it's, you know, those signs electronic whereby you're driving in and it will tell you the speed. So it's 50k in Drumahan and this sign will be basically saying if you're driving over 50k, it would flash red and give you a sad face or saying you're going too fast. Now, it doesn't always work, but when people see this, there, there has been some evidence that cars will slow down or trucks or whoever will slow down when they see a sign flashing saying you're going too fast you're over the limit or a big sad face but usually if you're going way over the limit it will say flashing too fast uh, now I know usually it's up to the local community councillor or the local people in that particular village or town to fundraise themselves for this some can apply for funding and I suppose you would get on to your local councillor about that or a local TD to see if you can get funding for those particular signs but I think there is one um, already in Drumahan so I mean if they're not taking notice of that and that's one option out the window then uh, but I know some villages and, and towns are using that and they find it helpful for them anyhow uh, but there is I'm sure one in Drumahan coming in from one of the junctions and I think there's one coming from Buin am I wrong, wrong or right in that maybe uh, maybe if you're in that area of Drumahan or Buin is there one coming from the the, the side when you're travelling from Buin into Drumahan is there one of those electric signs there let us know uh, but what can Anne do and what can the community of Drumahan do even if they have those electric signs, a big issue for them, speeding lorries and cars going through the village. Any advice for Anne on that? Uh, because as I say, I'm sure they have those particular signs in place anyhow. Uh, thank you for your text, Anne, to 086 And just on something totally different, 
And going back again to the EU commissioner and the decision now seems to be that Simon Coveney won't be going forward as a commissioner from Ireland to the EU. It looks like Murray McGuinness now uh, could be getting that particular gig but we'll have to wait and see on official confirmation for, for about that uh, as yet. Is there anything coming in on this? No. Uh, news could be over the next while a confirmation of uh, who will be the new commissioner. Anyway, uh, it does look like Simon Coveney is ruling himself out of this but a particular texter is saying that the EU minister he heard yesterday was saying that Phil Hogan will be missed from the job and this person is saying will they miss him um, from the particular role in Europe many are saying they will uh, but what will happen now we have Simon Coveney basically knows what's coming down the tracks as this particular texter and he is not going to go uh, and basically Big Phil uh, and everything else uh, whatever else he did whatever will, will more stuff basically come out about Big Phil in the wash now or is he getting himself out of a corner in Europe what else is going to come around the corner in Europe is that why he left I presume you're, you're making the point on 0862103103 and and it, uh, something that was on TV last night and this was a documentary and Michael in Castanbear is asking if maybe others saw this last night because he says I was watching a fascinating Martin McGuinness documentary last night which ultimately led uh, him to be a peacemaker and it sees the late John Hume another dairy man but what a difference there was between the two men Hume fought the same war as McGuinness but never ever lost a life uh, says Michael to his credit think of the thousands of lives he saved both achieved peace in the north of Ireland but my God, the difference in their approach when you look at the two totally different mindsets and the total opposite approach that each other took. May they both rest in peace. And to John Hume's credit, think of the thousands of lives that he has saved over the years since uh, peace came to Northern Ireland, says Michael in Castletown Bear. And I didn't see that documentary now, but yeah, I mean, they were both from the same area, but both, uh, I suppose, in the end, both did become uh, peacemakers John always fighting for peace uh, and, and Martin and John and, and others all came together to create what we have now uh, in the north is peace and while you mentioned everybody was fighting for their own cause at that time and fighting what they for they believed in they both did achieve peace in the north which is and was the ultimate goal that everybody wanted in this particular country so credit to both of them and for all of them there coming together and putting aside whatever difference they thought themselves uh, in their own heads and, and their way of doing things uh, all put aside to create what we have now peace in Northern Ireland and we can see people now from all over the country who may have been slow to stay Kate before in the north now travelling to the north and a beautiful area of our country to, to travel to is Northern Ireland so thank you for your WhatsApp Michael to take a WhatsApp or text to 086 2103 call Bernie or Sadie 1850 The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie Skibbereen Country Markers that is going to reopen tomorrow from 11.30 to 1.30 in Abbey Stury Church Hall in Skibbereen. Cakes, crafts and lots more on offer there. The West Cork Toastmasters, they are back in action this coming Saturday. It's online via Zoom. You can email for more details westcorktm at gmail.com Tully Lee's Parish Petty Dinners Collection, that is coming this Sunday from 11am to 1pm in the Community Centre in Tully Lee's that accept home baking, cash donations and perishable goods. And World's 
Suicide Prevention Day is Thursday the 10th of September and Charnival Suicide Awareness Group is asking people to light a candle in remembrance of those who have passed away and for their family and friends. And on Sunday the 20th of September the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland they're asking you to make every step count and register for its first ever Alzheimer's Memory Walk. You can register for the Let's Walk Together for Dementia at memorywalk.ie to start planning your route now. And more texts in on our doll bar and indeed on bars full stop. I mentioned there earlier what Leo Varadkar was saying and he thinks now at this stage we should be looking at opening the wet bars in this country. A texter and a number of texts saying this but sum it up with one text who says has in Leo changed his tune he must think there is an election on the way uh, and also uh, that we all have short memories says the texter on what Leo has said on reopening the wet bars. Now we should be looking at, at that at this particular stage. And on the doll bar a texter here saying I think at this stage there should be no dull bar full stop they have enough to be doing trying to keep us out of the shady deals that's going on because let's be honest they're doing nothing for the people of Ireland so this texter feels at this stage open the pubs now and also this person does not agree with more power for the Guardian also more power for the TDs he says there's enough abuse going on following Golfgate and so surely that is a prime example of ministers abusing the power they already have while Maggie says there should be no dull bar in the name of God it's the only workplace to have a particular bar to have a bar is a joke and then these people are making huge decisions about our lives and falling asleep in seats if we make a mistake at work and we fall asleep, we will be out the door. It's a disgrace. They should lead by example. We, the people, are too quiet. It's a joke making important decisions about our country and probably after alcohol, you or I wouldn't be allowed into our work uh, to have alcohol. Ridiculous, uh, says Maggie on text to 0862103103. And yeah, Maggie, you have a point. I mean, who else has a bar in their workplace unless you work in a bar? Uh, there's no other place would have a bar in in their workplace I don't think there's any other parliament in the world that has a bar maybe there is but I, maybe there's not I don't know I'd have to check that out but I don't think there is another parliament that has a particular bar uh, in the middle of the workplace and that will be so close to where huge decisions are made and Anna's asking uh, regarding Electric Ireland and we discussed this yesterday on the show we were speaking to Dara Cassidy from Bonkers.ie who went through the details of Electric Ireland who are pushing up their prices this winter uh, you mentioned there that earlier on the year you thought that they would not put up their prices but they, they are unfortunately and we discussed that on the show yesterday I think you say on your WhatsApp that you change your gas over to them well and I can tell you from what we were told yesterday from Dara Cassidy they have frozen the gas prices so the gas won't increase for you uh, but your electricity bill with Electric Ireland will increase later in this year in the winter months but for the moment your gas uh, Electric Ireland have frozen the gas prices but your electricity will go up so there's a bit of good news in that for you anyhow and, and, and we did we were aware of that we discussed it on the show yesterday now there's something else that was discussed on the show yesterday and this was to do uh, with uh, Independent Councillor Frank Roach who joined us on the show because he was in Mallow yesterday and he came across people who were concerned, I suppose. And these were people 
who had court appointments to go along to the courthouse in Mallow. Uh, they were running over there, but that wasn't the issue. The issue was because of the limitations of those within the courthouse, a lot of people were on the streets and they were waiting to go into the particular courthouse and people in Mallow, people waiting and others felt a bit unsafe at the large numbers outside the courthouse yesterday in Mallow. Frank uh, described the scenes and what was happening there. So we did get on to the court service about that. They have come back with a statement and this is what they say to us in regards to what happened at uh, the courthouse in Mallow. They say it was the first day back to work uh, and back to the courts. So the court service were dealing with treble crime and civil district courts in Mallow. Every effort, they say, was made and arrangements put in place to make the court hearing safe and as efficient as possible. Now, to limit the numbers in and around the court building, the court's day was divided into time sessions and all people were notified in advance of their time slot. COVID-19 safety protocols were in place and were adhered to in the courtroom and the courthouse building. Safety checklists were compiled, were checked and there were no breaches whatsoever. At the moment, we have busy lists spread across the day and we had to deal with adjournments since March. These delays matters on the particular day so we had to spread over several future court dates but on the day itself uh, there was three matters and events were made to flow uh, throughout the day uh, to make the day go uh, less quickly than expected. So here's what happens that led maybe uh, to the delays and led to the amount of people outside the courthouse. One the judge had to deal with emergency family law matters in his chambers before he could start the list as planned. Now, this delay to those who had earlier time slots assigned to them and could not have been planned for. Emergency and urgent family and child matters arise from time to time and must be dealt with first. Secondly, people who arrived early for the latter sessions and to this led to a greater number of people outside the courthouse. And thirdly, outside the Despite our staff loudly announcing the protocols on several occasions and asking everyone to social distance from each other, many people just ignored them, were not interested and some abused the courthouse staff who were trying to explain and apologise for the delay within the courts. Now, three people were dealing with implementing social distancing and indeed the safety protocols. This worked out without incident or problem in the courthouse. We called in 20 at a time from outside the building who were escorted to the courtroom. At all stages, we ensured our foyers and courtroom capacity were kept to and were within the safe numbers set out by the protocols. We apologised to the public several times for the delay due to the serious family law cases which had arisen our staff did offer the option for all who could not stay due to obligations arising or health concerns that their case could be adjourned. 14 people opted for those adjournments and to ease the wait as the day went on the judge and the clerk only took a 30 minute lunch break and they continued to work in the courts until 6 o'clock and the court service staff then continued to work until 9.30pm to ensure all matters were dealt with and that all orders uh, had paperwork updated in a timely manner. That's the response from the court services on that issue in Mallow and why there were so many people waiting outside the courthouse, why there was crowds uh, waiting in that particular area of Mallow, which is near schools and near a shopping centre and people were concerned that the large crowds there and also those going to court were concerned that they were outside waiting in crowds and numbers. Uh, that's the statement there from the court service.
1850-333-103. If you have a pet in your household and you have a question about your pet, well, that is the number you need to call because our resident vet, Jane Pickett, is joining me next on the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket. You can text or WhatsApp your questions for Jane as well to 0862-103-103. Jane joins us next. And when we were talking about speeding through various villages and towns across Cork and Drumahan was one that has come up again on the show today and, and asking what can they do because they have those particular electronic signs when you come up to a village and you see the, the light on, on the particular sign flashing 49 or 40 or then it gives you a smiley face if you're under the 50k or it tells you to slow down or you're going too fast if you're over the 50k. Uh, on that we were asking first of all is there one of those uh, speed cameras uh, they're not called speed cameras I suppose but one of those uh, speed monitors uh, on the Buin side coming to Drumahan because we know there's one coming from a, another road into the village and yes thank you to a number of people back onto us on WhatsApp who says yes there is one of those on the Buin Road coming into Drumahan but they feel it's a waste of money now all we need is a ramp it's the only solution uh, says Texters and another person here who says surely the answer to speeding is fixed speed cameras within speed limits these cameras record the speed time date and reg of the car then you get a fine and penalty points in the post however if you were over a certain speed a court appearance is warranted these work well in the UK and would work here this would also free up Garda resources says John on WhatsApp to 0862103103 would you agree with John on that? Uh, the only, one of the ways maybe the only way to deal with these particular situations we have speed vans on our roadway uh, many roadways across the country Bush is a time to bring in fixed speed cameras which are very popular on the continent and indeed across the UK and um, would that work where they would record the speed time date and car rate let us know 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 now time to speak to our resident vet on the programme as we usually do on a Thursday afternoon we welcome Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group good afternoon to you Jane. Hi there. And thanks for joining us and a lot of questions in uh, this afternoon so we'll get straight into them. First of all uh, this is one that has come in from another Jane. Uh, Jane is in Mallow and she wants to know is there any vaccine uh, that you can get against cat flu and if there is what age can it be given? Okay so cat flu really comprises a number of different things. Some viruses and bacteria and they all live under the umbrella of cat flu. It's like ourselves and flus and colds. There's lots of different things that can cause the flus and colds, um, but we all kind of talk about them as colds and flus. So what I would say is, yes, there is definitely a vaccination that you can give that targets some of the, the viruses in particular that can contribute to cat flu. And with cats, we normally see cat flu as, let's say, snorting and sniffling, potentially some discharge from the nose, and actually cats really commonly discharge and gunk around the eyes. Sometimes it can be bad enough that it really makes them struggle to breathe because cats are really pre-programmed in their own minds to be what we call obligate nasal breeders so they're really pre-programmed to just breathe through their nose and not open their mouth unless they absolutely have to so you can imagine having a big stuffy nose how uncomfortable that must be so uh, any methods that we can take to to prevent cat flu are definitely a, a good thing now most of those components will be involved in the normal cat vaccination that we would give annually um, and that can be given depending on the, the brand of vaccination, some of them from about 8 to 10 weeks of age onwards. So have a chat to your local vet about which cat vaccinations they use and which protocol they use. But generally, you can start at quite young 
Um, it just depends on the, the brand of vaccination that you use. And it's really important as well to keep up to date with your vaccination. So it's not just good enough to kind of vaccinate them when they're when they're a kitten. And normally it's, uh, of course, two vaccinations, three weeks apart that they need to start them off. It's really important to keep up with it every year um, because components of the, the vaccination that we use, some of the immunity that we've built up with the vaccination against those diseases does begin to kind of wane off over time so the body kind of forgets what it should be doing or what it has been taught by the vaccination. So keeping up to date with that every year is really, really important. The one thing I would say, though, is if you have got a kitten, a really good idea is to vaccinate them as soon as they can be vaccinated rather than waiting until later. Now, it's better late than never. What I would say is if a young cat were to get some of these nasty viruses early in life, for example, herpes virus or caliche virus, which can cause them to cat flu symptoms as well as nasty kind of sores in the mouth um, and problems with the eyes. If they've had those viruses before they get vaccinated, they may well lie dormant in the system. So the virus can go into the body hide out until a period of stress stress happens and then they can ramp up um, their effects on the body over time. So unfortunately, if they've had access to these viruses before they were vaccinated, it's still worth doing the vaccination because there will be things that they haven't been exposed to that we can keep them safe from. But um, the earlier, the better, because they have the best chance of preventing disease um, at a young age, if you can. Okay, so a lot for Jane in Mallow to consider there. Uh, and Cloda has a question regarding uh, a 10-year-old collie, an Alsatian mixed dog. Now, it's her parents' dog and he's an indoor dog that has never been left alone or in a kennel. Now, he has never been trained on a lead and is very overprotective of the family. But they're looking and going on a staycation. But they're terrified that the dog might not survive if they leave him uh, in a kennel. Now, is there any way of getting him used to kennels or would it be too much stress uh, because the last thing they want to do is bring stress on him by leaving him alone in a kennel and because of his age they're worried uh, that too much stress could be the wrong thing for him so what would you advise uh, Clola's parents in this situation? Yeah this is a little bit of a difficult one particularly if they're quite protective and, and the dog is maybe a little bit kind of showing early aggressive behaviours as a form of protection it does make it a little bit challenging particularly if he's not been trained to let's say you know accept a lead and a collar it might actually be quite a, a stressful thing for that little dog to be in a new environment, again, particularly if they're not, let's say, the most relaxed of dogs. But it also might be quite challenging for our kennels to, to manage that dog safely as well. If we are quite a protective little dog, you can imagine a protective little dog outside of his own environment and adding into that the fact that they're not used to being, let's say, having a collar and lead on and not walking on a lead imagine with a stranger dealing with that although they will be experienced professionals in good kennels you can imagine that that's quite a lot of stress for the animal but it's also potentially not the safest thing for the kennels i think the best thing to do is ask your local vet um or local kind of animal professionals you know what kennels are in the area and i suppose seek out kind of information on their reputation and qualifications um, and it's always a good idea to go and view a kennel before you commit to having your dog there, if that's possible. Although with COVID, that may be a little bit difficult at the moment. So potentially a good phone call to any kennels you might be considering. And the one thing I would say is, without knowing a bit more about your situation, it's very difficult to say cut and dry whether it's a good or a bad idea. The best thing would be to really try in advance of the holiday to get some good socialisation with your animal in so training them to the collar and the lead meeting other people in a controlled environment you're just taking things nice and slow because the more used to they are of being on a collar and lead 
more handleable they'll be in a kenneling environment, but also it minimizes their stress. The less new experiences you can give them on top of an already new experience of going to the kennels, the better it will be. So, but the one thing I would say is any kennels that you're considering using, I would ring them in advance of it and be totally transparent about the situation with them because it's no use of being a surprise for them if they're worried that your dog is really stressed and doesn't want to go on bleed, etc. It's really forearmed, forewarned as forearmed in this situation. It's really best that everybody's aware of the situation. If that dog is going to be a little bit stressed, not so used to lots of other people, maybe quite protective and a bit of a challenge on the lead. So I say it's not an absolute no. Um, that it isn't a bad idea I think it really depends on your situation and knowing a little bit more about the dog but also how comfortable the kennels you would be taking to him are with dealing with stress and kind of taking measures to allay their stress minimising the noise minimising visualisation of other dogs as well just anything they can do to reduce the stress level for your dog would be a great idea Okay I hope that helps Clara there and her parents and let's go to Ken in Glantan Ken has a spaniel dog now he wants to clip his claws himself as he does not want to be mixing with people at the vets is it a simple procedure and do you need to buy a special clippers also what is the best way uh, to clean uh, his uh, spaniel dog's ears as well for Ken in Glantan Okay, so with the nail clipping first, I totally empathise with not wanting to mix with other people at the vet. However, it can be a little bit of a challenge um, if you haven't seen it done. So doing it, let's say, without ever having seen your vet clip nails is maybe a little bit of a challenge. Um, It is a relatively simple procedure, but there's a big but in that. It's kind of like clipping our own nails. If you imagine if you're cutting your own nails, you're cutting that soft little white part at the top where there's no feeling in it. If you think back, if you've, I, I, I don't know if anybody's ever caught their hand in the door or caught their fingers in a door, you can imagine how painful it is underneath the nail if your nail is involved in, in getting a, a bop against an object. The really big risk with clipping nails, if you're not used to doing it, is that you might accidentally snip a little bit too much off and then you're snipping into that really sensitive tissue on the base of the nail. And with humans, that's very easy to see. With dogs, it's really not. And the added difficulty we have sometimes is a lot of dogs' nails are pigmented so they're not kind of a nice white colour where we can see where the, the little vessel or the sensitive bit of the nail is inside it. A lot of the time they're pigmented, so they're black or brown, which means that you're you're pretty much going in blind. And that's where experience comes in. Um, so in that situation, having a, an experienced better nurse clipping the nails, it can really be helpful because what we encounter sometimes is some people are very good and very used to clipping nails at home for their own dog. But generally they will have started off by watching their own vet clip nails. Um, and learning how it works and all the all the care that we take. Um, but a lot of the time I would get dogs coming in to me that are really scared of having their ears clipped and that's usually because they may have had a bad experience before. Now some dogs can be just a little bit stressed in that environment and we take lots of measures in the clinic to try and make it as stress-free as possible. Um, however, at home, if you were to accidentally, let's say, clip the sensitive little bit in the nail and cause a lot of pain and potentially quite a bit of bleeding, then that's a really bad experience for them that they'll kind of store in their memory bank. And then when anybody ever goes near their toes again, they'll remember, oh, this hurt the last time. So I'm going to be really, really awkward. So they can't clip my nails because they're just trying to keep themselves safe. I think if you're if you're if you want to try it and it's not something you've seen your vet do before, so you're not kind of experienced in how, how they hold the nails to keep them safe and, and what to what, where they would cut to, to make sure that there's the least chance of causing any problems. There are videos online, but I'll be totally honest with you, they are of varying quality. I've seen good and bad techniques on there. Um, the best thing to do is to ring your vest, 
discuss the situation with them. There may be some way that they can um, limit your contact with other people because obviously we need, all need to keep ourselves safe in COVID. I know in our clinic at the moment, we're um, we're not having members of the public inside the building because we just feel that the risk to, to, to them is, is, is high enough and it's a small space. Um, so at the moment, we're discussing things with them either over the phone or outside. Um, and then taking the pet through. Normally, they're really, really quite comfortable with coming with us because there's usually lots of treats inside the clinic and they usually remember that. Um, and to have their nails clipped by us, and normally it will be a vet and a nurse team clipping the nails. So that might be a solution, but have a chat with your local vet as to if there's any way that they can get around the situation without you having to mix with lots of other people given the COVID risk. And also just for some advice, they may well also sell nail clippers Again, there's good and bad on the market, so ask your vet for their recommendation. They may well have some in stock if that's something you want to do. Um, but just be aware it's not a, a, a super simple not a, procedure. A, a total easy procedure, yeah. And, uh, and on the years, in, in about 20 seconds, because we're running over on time. Yeah, very, very similar. There's good and bad videos out there. I definitely would say that if you haven't done it before, it's something best left to your vet. It is something that can be learned, but generally under veterinary instruction. Okay, Jim, well, thank you for that. And I know if more questions coming in, we'll get to those on the show next week. But thanks for joining us this afternoon, Jane, on the show. Thank you. Take care. That is Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. And that's it from us today. My thanks to Bernie and Sadie who worked on the show today. We'll chat with you again tomorrow from 10am with Cork Today. I'm John Paul McNamara. Enjoy your Thursday afternoon. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.